Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. I get chills like every time we sing Amazing Grace, right? Praise God. Like I, I would hate forever to, to there to be a time I hear that song and not, I'm just like overwhelmed. <laughs> so, and also, um, I do have a little tickle in my throat today. I apologize. <clears throat> now, just to let you know, um, as Lee read scripture today, I would like all of you to read scripture. I know a lot of you have, but you know, I think when everybody's here, we have about, you know, 50 people. So once a year is all I'm asking from you guys. And, um, and it's a blessing to me and it's a blessing to everybody else here to see everybody who is part of this church. We don't wanna see me up here. We wanna see, you know, cute young people up here, right, the kids, we want to see everybody up here, Not, you know, so um, with that in mind, reach out to me, especially if it's been a while, let me know that you want to, to, to read scripture, and as I've reached out to some of you already this morning, I, I'm going to come after you, so it's, and you know if you've read scripture, I will tell you, I, I purposely pick uh, verses that don't have difficult names or places, if that's a fear of yours. I will even change the verse. We will find you a verse that you feel comfortable with. <coughs> I just want you to do that. <clears throat> so, um, getting started today. Oh, one quick note. Uh, we don't have slides today. There are no slides today. So I went through my sermon and made sure um, that everything in there will, I believe, should be in James chapter 4. And so as I read scripture, you're just going to have to look down instead of at the screen. Um, but that's good because you'll know I'm not lying, right? I mean, if you don't look down, I could be putting anything up there. I could just... So today you're going to hold me accountable. You're going to look down. And so um, let me start. <clears throat> so uh, I knew, very true story here, I knew a young man who came to faith in his late teens at least he professed faith. He was baptized. He was really excited about God. Um, now, didn't read his Bible much. Hardly ever attended church. And he would give me excuse after excuse. Not that he had to give me a reason, but I check in on people. If you've ever missed a couple Sundays, I will text you. And so I, I, would, you know, I would talk to him, and he'd give me every excuse. I'd call him out on it, and I'd say, well... You're not late for your job. You're not late for movies or concerts. Like, you, there's no problem. You shouldn't be able to make it to church. I mean, hey, even late. So a few years later, this young man, very sweet guy, very sweet guy, became irrationally angry. Like, insanely <laughs> angry. He was always looking for a fight. He was always combative. Like, insane you know, I used to joke it was his superpower. You could talk about anything, and he would turn it into a fight. You know, I would even bring up topics, you know, like, like things like McDonald's that I knew he loved. And I'd be like, oh, hey, you love McDonald's, right? He'd be like, yeah, but not as much as I used to. I mean, everything, just violent anger and rage. <clears throat> a few months ago, I spoke with him after I hadn't seen him for a long time. And he told me that he had left the faith and that he was now a trans woman. He told me the reason that he was so miserable, because he owned up to it. Yeah, I was miserable. I was angry. He said it was because of his faith. He said it was because of his religion. And so he, he left his religion. And it was the best thing that he had ever done. And so I asked him, all right, well, how do you feel now? He said, miserable. I feel miserable. You know, a couple months before that, he had even said he, he had thoughts of, of suicide. 
But still, he fought with me and said, no, leaving my religion was the best thing that I ever did. It freed me to be myself. And here's the deal. In one way, he was right. It was his religion that was making him miserable. He had a war going on inside of him. Of course he was miserable. Right? He had two identities fighting. He had a war of passions. He had no peace. And so, to be fair, what he did was correct. He fleed. He rejected one and went to the other. Only he chose the wrong one. He chose to be a friend of a world of sinners instead of the friend of sinners. He made the wrong choice. And so church, us this morning, we have passions within us. We have a war of passions within us, right? And quite frankly, it could make us angry. It could, it could put us on edge. It could be frustrating, right? We could just be ready to explode. And this is because we are trying to stay in two relationships at once that do not want to be together. They do not like each other. And you are the battleground. And so it's no wonder that there's no peace and there's misery. The irony today is that the truth is the only cure for misery is to become miserable. That's what we're going to look at today. The only way to stop being miserable, right, is to become miserable. And so I'm going to show you. I know it doesn't sound right, but you trust me. You, th you know I'm going to come around with this. So our sermon today is the cure for misery is becoming miserable. Our text today will be James chapter 4, verses 1 through 10. Uh, let me pray for us before we start. <clears throat> Lord, you are good. Thank you, Lord, for your amazing grace. Uh, thank you that you are worthy to be worshipped uh, forever, Lord, that... We could never grow bored, Lord. I can't wait for the day we're just in your presence and just can't stop seeing how glorious you are. But this morning, Lord, uh, the reality is that we are not in your presence yet. We we're in a world of, of sin. We exist in a world system that does not like you, does not like us. And in a large part, a lot of our old ways, our old uh, passions, desires, and sins, they still exist within us. And we need to resist them, and we need to come to you, Lord, to, um, to even worship you, Lord. As many of us know, it's so hard to worship you when our mind is on something that is counter to, to you. And so open our hearts and minds this morning to this reality that this war needs to end and that the way to find joy is through misery, Lord. May you speak this truth to us, Lord, by your spirit. Amen. All right, we're going to read a big chunk of scripture. We're going to read all ten verses in James. <clears throat> what quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? Therefore it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. And purify you hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. 
And so we can already kind of see there what I'm talking about. Right? There's this war within, and yet God's calling us to mourn. It's going to be bad. Like, this war needs to end. It's not going to be nice. And so what we find in, in these ten verses are at least three problems that I want us to look at. And praise God, also three solutions that are in this text as well. And the first is that we have passions that are at war within us. Passions that are at war within us. Passions and desires and wants are not a bad thing per se. It's not wrong to want anything. It's not wrong to, to want to eat or feel good or spend time with people you love. The reason there is war here is because there is a contradiction uh, of passions. Warring sides that can be summed up in our old spiritual desires, or, I'm sorry, our old worldly desires and our new spiritual desires. And they're both within, inside of you at the same time. Your soul is ground zero for a winner-take-all battle. That can make you on edge. That can make you miserable. So what do I mean by old worldly desires? Desires that you have had your whole life, you will still have, and that everybody has. These are those desires that the world tells you that you have. You need more stuff. You ever just feel that way? Like, how good does it feel just to go shopping? We need more stuff. We do. We need to be more comfortable. We need to be more happy. The desires of this world direct us like puppets, like marionettes, telling us what to think, telling us what we want. You know, I was watching a couple of videos, maybe I don't want to admit this, but um, about Furbies. You know, in the late 90s, me and Gianna had one. We were dating. We got a Furby together. That was our first thing that we had to raise together. <coughs> but, oh man, did everybody desire a Furby. It was everywhere we, until the next Christmas. I don't remember what the next was, Elmo maybe. But every year, we must have, like our kids are telling us, we must have this thing that that we don't even know they want, because they've been told commercial after commercial and by everybody around them, this is what you want. Nobody woke up just on their own and thought, man, I, I really need a Furby. <laughs> That's what my life needs. The other side of this is that we have new spiritual desires. Praise God. We love Jesus, we love his word, we love singing songs to him, we love each other. As I've said multiple times, like I forget how much I love you guys until Sunday morning, you know, forgive me, but by the end of the week and I get here, I'm like, oh my gosh, I love these people. This is wonderful. We have these new desires directed by the Holy Spirit to love one another and to love those who are perishing so we could point them to the glory of Christ. So what happens when we have both of these desires inside of us? How do we feel when there is a war inside of us? We feel miserable. We feel miserable. In these 10 verses alone, <clears throat> we see the results of warring passions within us are quarreling, fights, war, coveting, and then more fights. Right? More quarreling, it says. Adultery, enmity, being an enemy of God. All because we have this war within us. Lots of fighting. And that's the issue James is dealing with here. People at church fighting. And I know this seems so very foreign uh, to this church. Praise God. That I never, when I think about you guys, I never have to think, well, who's fighting? Who's quarreling with who? But if you've ever been to another church, I, I am almost certain you understand what James is talking about here. Like people quarreling at church and, and fighting and the gossip and just so much manipulation. And so James is saying the root cause of, of fighting within the church is a church full of people with a war within themselves. You know, it's not even about the people. It's like when I used to, to, to manage Starbucks and places like that, and customers would come in and harass my workers. 
You know, and I have to hug them and pray with them and tell them, it's not you. No one wakes up hating you. You guys are awesome. The reason that person blew up at you is because they have a war within them, whatever that looks like. Maybe they're not being respected at home. Maybe, maybe somebody is abusing them, but it's not you. Them exploding is not your fault. And I think that's kind of what James is getting at here. Like the problems in the church shouldn't be problems in the church because we have a new desire to love one another. The problem is you have a war with inside of you and you're on edge, man. Somebody says the wrong thing or looks at you the wrong way, it's going to be trouble. This miserable state of heart and soul provokes dissension and disunity in the church. What this can also look like within the church is people who still have their old worldly desires, um, such as um, wanting glory, right, wanting power. And so they come into the church and try to exercise those things inside the church. And so you have old worldly desires in a new spiritual context, and it doesn't work. I can't tell you how many people that I've seen, seen uh, well, I guess not in ministry because they didn't make it, but people who just left the church because they couldn't be in charge. Now, one of the saddest truths about this, this situation, about this misery, about this war within, is that it makes the Holy Spirit miserable as well. I don't know if we've ever thought about God like that or the Holy Spirit like that. There's actually multiple verses that talk about the Holy Spirit not being happy about what we're doing. Gosh, if I had to live with me, I, I would be, I'd be miserable as well. <clears throat> so the Spirit is miserable. Verse 5. Do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? And so this is heartbreaking. This is heartbreaking if we think about it. Right in the middle of the war inside of us and, our, and the desires we have is the one who gave us our new spiritual desires. Right? It's the Holy Spirit inside of us witnessing everything go down while we wrestle with and run to our old desires as we often do. The Holy Spirit is just like, what? <laughs> What's happening here? Like, you, you wanted me here, right? I, I came to you. You have the power of God within you, access to all, all this godliness. I will help you, but the Spirit witness us, witnesses us do everything that we used to do, like the Spirit was never there to begin with. Imagine having to see someone cheat on you over and over, right? It would be horrible. And God is jealous. That's what it says. The spirit that he placed within us is jealous. Of course you're miserable. You have the spirit of God in you, watching you betray him. He's jealous that we serve a jealous God. Again, I don't know how, if we consider that enough. You know, in our loving, friendly God that we always think about, Part of love is jealousy. He loves us. Right? Not just technically, he loves us and hates when we don't love him back and hates when we do things that contradict or break the, the rules of the relationship that he set forth. How many of us would be happy to enter a new relationship? And we're excited to enter a new relationship only to have that person say, yeah, okay, we, 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 we are serious. We are together now. It, it is you and me. And then every day have that person go and hang out with their exes. Every day. Go do everything they were going to do before. They promised that, that they weren't going to do again. How would you feel? Miserable. Jealous. Right? None of us would be happy about that. And, and God's telling us that's the way we feel. And James is saying at some point, you will break. And the worst part about it is you're going to take it out on each other. 
in the church of all places. Yet this is the way we make God feel. Who saved us, who loves us, who died for us. We make him jealous and angry when we go to our old desires. So what should we do? We should choose a side, right? Simple answer. Choose a side. Resist your old sinful passions. Verse 7. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So the idea here of resist is a military one, actually, because we're talking about a war, so it makes sense. The war within. So military action, resist. Right? Don't go hang out with the enemy. Like, this awesome advice James is giving us. If you want to win a war against somebody, don't go hang out with them. Don't go love them. That, that's, that's not going to help you. Run to God. Choose God. Submit to God. Submit all that sinful territory to God. Repent of old sins that make the Lord jealous. End the relationship with the world. And you may say, correctly from our studies, well, aren't we supposed to live in the world? Right? Aren't we supposed to? I mean, isn't that why we're here? To be in the world. Yes. But we don't have to be lovers. Right? We don't have to submit to the world. It doesn't work. We are to be obedient to Jesus. And when we do this, the devil will flee. The devil will flee. There, there's two lines in this passage which, which I love. One of them is the fact that the devil will flee. Praise God. We have instructions on how to make the devil flee. The other one later is that God will draw near to us. I mean, that can get me through the rest of my life. Meditate on that. Believe that. And so let's move on to the second problem we find in this passage. We don't ask. It's very interesting like he puts it back on us. Like it, we're not the victims. Like we don't ask. In verses two and three, <clears throat> you desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so by asking, of course, James is talking about prayer. And so this whole time the war is going on, there's this whole other option that we have access to, which is just talking to God about it. Radical thought, right? We have a spiritual war, and God is saying, like, you should tag me into this. You know, you have this resource. You have God and a spiritual battle. Tag God, get him into the battle. Ask him into this battle to help you. Ask for the peace of Jesus in your misery, which transcends all understanding. To not pray is to waste divine resources. It is a waste of resources. You have access to God. I mean, I don't know if James is laughing as he's saying this, but it's just like, have you guys ever considered the fact that you're Christians? You could just ask God to help you in this spiritual battle? When we waste these resources, then our souls become a wasteland, right? They become, I mean, just torn to pieces. And at some point, it also tears the church apart, which is the context of this passage. People in the church fighting because there's a fight within them. All because we don't ask. So why don't we ask? Why don't we ask? I think there's several issues, but... I think one that we need to talk about is an issue of trust. I believe this. I do, when people don't go to God in prayer, I think that they don't trust that God can give us what the world can give us. That God can't satisfy our soul to the extent that the world can. Hence, we try to fill our lives with everything instead of God. We don't trust that God is big enough to fill our need and desires and to the untrusting person, to an extent that's true, 
only to the degree and to the fact that that person has not allowed God that space. That person has not given God the opportunity to fill their lives. Right? And so you can't have it both ways. You can't say, well, God doesn't satisfy me if you're not going to God to get satisfaction. Or like James is talking about here, you're holding on to everything else and then asking God to, to sort of to find his way into that. And the whole point of this passage is like, yeah, that doesn't work. It doesn't work to the point that you are an enemy. It's not that you are a bad Christian. You become an enemy. God is angry. God is jealous. He loves you. He wants, you, he wants to fight for you. He wants you to be loyal to him. And so people often just stay in the miserable middle where you can't even enjoy the world. Like once, you know, once you're a Christian, your spirit knows the truth. <clears throat> and so as you go through the world and try to get joy out of whatever it was before, you get a little bit, but you also get the misery because the Holy Spirit is inside of you telling you nonsense. You don't, you're not getting joy out of this. That misery is grace. That is God's spirit saying, don't do this. You don't enjoy this. Notice the fact you are miserable even though you say you're happier. That's grace, the Holy Spirit making us miserable. He doesn't want us to be happy with anything other than himself. On the other side is, well, like I said, you can't even enjoy your faith because you're so on edge because you're, you have all these sins in your life that you haven't repented of. And so we don't even like coming to church because we spent all, all, all Saturday night wrapped up in some sin that we supposedly gave up. And so you have to pick a side. You're going to be miserable. You're not going to be happy on either side unless you pick a side. For what about the soul, though, that is already frustrated, is miserable, but does pray? Why don't we get what we ask for when we do pray? We don't get what we ask for because we don't know who we are talking to. James says this multiple times, already out through this book. You guys don't know God. You guys are talkers. All you guys do is talk. You don't learn. You guys come to church, you're mean, you talk, you look for rich people and be nice to them. That's what this church does. And so they don't know God. If you know God's word, you know God's heart. That's why we read the Bible. We know God's character, we know God's heart, and then when you know that, when you know a person, you know what to ask for. The same way those of us in relationships, whether with, with friends or spouses, if they're in a bad position, we know how to offer help, right? Because when you know somebody, you know what to ask for. You know, one thing is, uh, I love about Roxy, which did, she didn't know I was going to say her name, um, is that she knows all of her friends' favorite candies. That is wonderful. That's a blessing when we go to the market, and she always asks for candy anyway, but, if, but she'll ask for a, you know, a kind of a brand that I'm like, that's not even the candy you like. Like, what are you even doing? You just want candy. And she's like, no, it's for my friend. They're in a bad place, and I know this is what they, what they like. And so when we know people, we know how to minister to them. We know how to operate in a relationship. But that's the way we, we, we get to learn how to pray and to know what to ask for, is to know who God is. The other part of that, it said, James says, is that we ask for the wrong things. We ask for the wrong things. Now, for example, as we met at Skillet uh, yesterday, uh, we drove by, by Butcher's Block, right? The meat place. You get all your meat there. You can't go into the butcher block and be upset that they don't give you the tiramisu that you ordered. Right? That's irrational. You, don't, you, you go there for the meat, right, and for the wonderful people that work there. You, you don't go there for dessert. 
And so you can't be upset that you don't know what to ask for. That's not on them. Let me, let me put it another way. Imagine this. Imagine somebody has an alcohol problem, really bad alcohol problem, deadly. And their father, you know, basically drags them into rehab, just drags them in, pays for the whole thing, gets them clean, saves them, and then asks them, you know, that Christmas, let's say that Christmas comes around, and that father asks, all right, what do you want for Christmas? And that person says, alcohol. No. Like, do you not understand, like, our relationship? You have to know what to ask for. You have to know who you're talking to. See, I think unanswered prayer is because we, we do those exact things. We ask for God for ungodly things and things that would harm us. I mean, again, there's a reason God is jealous here. God is angry here. It's because and, and when we do this, it's like we're saying, hey, you know that sin that Jesus died for? Can I have more of that? Would you give me more of that? No, oh, why doesn't God answer prayer? Because he's good, because he loves you. So how do we fix that? How do we know God well enough to have this healthy prayer life, to end this war within? Verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Man, does this bless my heart. I hope you are encouraged. I hope you believe that today. Like earlier, that you can live in such a way that the devil will flee you, and that you can live in such a way that God will draw near to you. Yes, God is everywhere. But he can be even nearer to you, it says. And I believe it. He is just waiting for us to resist our old desires and turn to him. The fact is we live in a war, right? We live in a world that we are going to be at war with. That, that they don't like us, that they don't love God. We can live in that war, but not if we have a war inside of us. It doesn't work. We will be more miserable than anybody. We have stood between two desires for too long, and it's time to flee one of them. It's time to resist one of them, make a decision, make a choice. This means prioritizing God in every area of our life, prioritizing God with our time, with our resources. This is doing devotions at night. This is coming to church. It is walking with God in a world that is at war with us and still finding joy. And I wish I could draw out what that looks like, but quite frankly, it looks different for all of us. Drawing near to God looks different for all of us. I mean, there's some things we have in common, like we have to resist our old passions, but even then, even then that looks different for all of us. We all got our sins, and so it's going to look different. We must resist our old passions. God will never be the other thing in your life. God will never be your third wheel. He will never be, you know on a trailer in your life that you drag around. He will never be the other God in your life. He's making this clear. He gets angry. He gets jealous. And at some point, you will become an enemy. In order to draw near to God, though, we must know God, which we do through his word. If you love somebody, you get to know them. Romantically speaking, this is done through dating, right? If you love somebody or if you're attracted even to somebody, you will devote time and space to them. For some of you younger people, you know that if one of your friends has a crush on somebody, your relationship is doomed for a couple of days to a couple of weeks because you just got spaced out. They're making time and space to get to know this other person and no, I am not saying that we date God. But 
how many of us have time and space in our lives to get near to God? Whatever you want to call that, devotional time, meditation, God time, whatever you call it, I don't care. Do you have it? And if you don't, what are your expectations about that relationship? Because I'm telling you right now, you're spending time with your old desires in some way, shape, or form. All of us. Do you have time at least once a day? I mean, let's start there. Once a day where you can draw near to God. And if that seems unreasonable to you, let me say that we've done this with every other passion of ours. If we know the football game starts at this time, we tell people, do not bug me for these three or four hours, whatever it is now. I will be watching the game. I have dedicated this time. And I do that as well. That's not against liking sports. I do that, but, and so we are familiar with block out this certain amount of time so I can focus on something. I'm going to make it religious. I'm going to eat the same things. I'm going to have rituals. I'm going to have passion in this time. Same with concerts, right? All that passion and energy and planning and setting time aside and resources aside. Do we do that with God? Sunday morning is not enough. <laughs> Promise you, Sunday morning is not enough. It is a wonderful start. It's a wonderful way to start your week, but it is not enough to sustain you. And even if you countered me and said, well, you know, the younger generation would say, well, we don't even have to do that. We can just binge everything, right? We don't have to wait for anything. We'll just binge watch this. Okay. When was the last time you binge prayed? When was the last time you binged, read your Bible, listened to sermons, meditated? That's an option. God says he will draw near to you if you draw near to him. Challenge him on that. He doesn't want a tiny slice of your life. He doesn't want a compartment. He doesn't want Sunday morning. God wants to be your number one love and passion, the most dominating relationship in your life that makes all your other relationships better. The third problem that we find in this passage is that potentially, doesn't mean you are necessarily this morning, but when you stay in this position of this war within for too long, when you don't pick a side for too long, you become an enemy of God, which is, it's sobering. He's talking to people at church. He's talking to Christians. And so verse 4, he's talking to and so what I love about this, verse 4, <clears throat> up until this point, James has called them his, his brothers, his, his beloved, right? And then at this point, verse 4, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Choose your side. If you don't, you are committing spiritual adultery. What James is saying here is intimate friendship with the world is paramount to cheating on God. I mean, I mean it's, what God, it's what God is saying. You are cheating on him if you come to him and you come to the faith and say, I reject and I repent of all my, my sin, my, the, the, the sin in my life, and I come to you, Jesus, and I submit to you, and you go back to those desires, it says that it's adultery. And God is jealous. He's calling it what it is. You are cheating on me. Of course you're miserable. Of course you come to church and are miserable. You're in my holy presence. And you're cheating on me. That's why you feel awkward. That's why you're mean. 
It's not on God, it's on us. Where are we at? We are enemies of God when we prioritize time with the enemy. Right? When we talk like the enemy. When we do things the enemy wants us to do. When we submit to the passions of the enemy, it's a pretty easy conclusion. Right? And you could tell someone is a friend of the world because all their actions are about them. About their name, right? Their ego, that they would be great And this creates hostility towards other Christians because we know in the church, well, like I've said before, this isn't the James show, just like it's not about any of you. And so Christians know, right? So people get upset. This causes war with people inside the church. We don't want to worship people. We want to worship Jesus. So there's conflict. People coming into the church fighting because they want the glory of Jesus and they want to be teachers because at this point, it was the respected position, Now, the irony of this, the, the ironic sadness of this is that the primary reason that people who are friends of the world are miserable is because they are trying to escape misery. They are trying to escape misery. One of the aims of worldly passions is, is, is to not be miserable. We become miserable when we try to outrun misery whatever you want to call that misery. Sometimes we call it boredom. I'm bored. So what? Draw near to God. I mean, but we try, especially in our generation. I'm bored. I have to do something. I have to be entertained. And it makes us miserable when we can't be. And then what happens after we go down a YouTube rabbit hole for five hours. We feel good after it. We might have had a couple laughs in the middle of it. We can find some funny stuff, but nobody comes out of that being like, yes, I will never regret spending that time just watching all those videos. We can regret the time that we don't make for God in our lives. None of us is going to regret the time we spend on our old worldly passions. I'm sorry, we're, we're going to regret, sorry. And so what's, what's the solution to this? What's the solution, uh, the solution to the misery and for the war that's going on within us? The solution is to become miserable. Become miserable before God. In verses 8 through 10, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. What an interesting <laughs> solution. What an interesting application. You're not miserable enough. That's your problem. You're not miserable enough. Be wretched. You might be bored, but are you wretched? Mourn, cry, weep. Stop laughing. Stop pretending you have all this joy. You don't. It's not giving you joy. It's distracting you. And this may sound extreme. And it is. This is an extreme circumstances. He's talking to Christians and he's called them double-minded, adulterous, enemy sinners. That's extreme. All of those are extreme titles to give somebody who's listening to you preach. This is extreme. He's saying they, they were faithful, they said they were faithful to God, profess faith in God, and have done nothing but cheat and be unfaithful to God. To the point that it's even wrecking the church. God doesn't want a confession and apology alone. 
He's jealous. He is angry. How many of us, when, when somebody wrongs us, you know, especially in an adulterous context, even if it's just looking at somebody inappropriately or having an inappropriate relationship, how many of us, if they just say, oh, I'm sorry, or like, okay, cool, yeah, we're good now. You know, or if we say, are you sorry? And they're like, okay, yeah, sure. That doesn't, that doesn't suffice for us, right? We don't accept that when we're jealous and we're angry that we have been cheated on. He wants you to follow him and take your relationship seriously. He wants you to take sin seriously. Take sin seriously. It shouldn't, we, we, shall, we, we shouldn't exist. There shouldn't be a war within. The only reason there's a war is because we don't take sin seriously. We tried to add God to our old life instead of getting rid of and resisting our old life. God is not happy about it. And we are not happy about it. And we're going to make everybody else miserable as well. When we had the answer all along. So take inventory of your spiritual life. All of us. All of us, take inventory of your spiritual life and start repenting. Start resisting. The flesh is weak, right? Like Paul said, the flesh is weak. Spiritually, right now, you guys might feel great. You're going to walk out of that world, get tired, have something be exposed to you that that's a weakness or a vice, and your flesh is weak. You must resist. Resist the devil and he will flee. What an awesome promise. Stop saying the devil made me do it, right? Stop saying the devil made me do it and just stop hanging out with the devil. That's the solution. Mourn, cry, be miserable. You have made the Holy Spirit of God miserable inside of you. You have made God witness your unfaithfulness. God who knows our minds and our hearts and has seen us choose something else over him over and over and over. James says we're adulterers. And the Spirit is not happy. God is jealous because he loves you. He's not mean. He's not being a jerk. He loves you too much to have you go back to this abusive lover who only wants you to die, who only wants the worst for you, only wants your destruction just to make God angry. And we keep running back to him. Resist. Resist. Mourn. Become miserable. Draw near to God. And God will draw near to us still, even after all that. This glorious promise we have here at the end of verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. And this echoes the words of Jesus in Matthew 23, 12. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. In this life, church, we will all be miserable. We will all be humble and we will all be exalted. And so the world is telling us, flee, right? Flee misery. Run from misery. Do whatever you can to distract yourself from misery. Exalt yourself. Exalt yourself now. It is about you being you. Right? That's what the world is saying, that, that somehow that's noble. You be you. And then what ends up happening is you will be humbled and more miserable than you could possibly comprehend. And forever. Or we can choose to be miserable now and repent and come before God in prayer, draw near to God, and be miserable at the fact that for some reason we thought we should be exalted. We should be upset at ourselves over that. Trade our worldly joy. There is some things, some sins that just, you know, they make us happy. Trade them in. Get rid of them for real joy. When we humble ourselves, 
we exalt Jesus, right? We're to live to exalt Jesus. And we, when we do that, it says that we will be exalted. And, and that's a verse, I, I mean, quite frankly, I don't even know where to go with that. Can you imagine God exalting us? That's how much he loves us. I can't even comprehend God exalting us. And that's what he's saying, like, stop exalting yourself, you know, flee your sins, be upset, be, mourn, be miserable, come to him and let him exalt you. Again, I can't wrap my mind around it, but I, I imagine that it's only completely wonderful. I want to be exalted by God. And so we can live with friendship with the world or we can live with friendship with God. You cannot do both. And this morning, maybe that's what you've been going through this morning or maybe for weeks or years, you know it doesn't work. I'm, there's nothing that's surprising you this morning. I, I'm hoping this morning that you're just realizing that that is a cycle that can end, that that is a war that can end, and that there is peace to be had, and that God loves you and will save you from that war if you would just choose a side. And God, help us that we would make the wrong, I mean the right choice. Choose the right side. Become miserable before God to experience the exaltation and joy of God. Let me pray for us. Lord, <clears throat> I confess, and I think, I truly believe on all of our behalf, that we can substitute our joy in you, or even just spending time with you for any absurd reason. And, and I say this, Lord, as you know, and, and I hope everyone here knows that pleasure isn't a bad thing, desire isn't a bad thing. You've given us your, your grace and your love and the joy of family and, and music and art and beautiful days and just so much amazing things about existing, Lord, that bring you glory and bring us joy. We're not talking about those things, Lord. Convict us this morning of those things in our life that are making us miserable. May we become miserable over them and leave them. Even though repenting of some sins literally has physical effects and certainly spiritual effects, may we choose that misery anyway, knowing that no matter how hard we fall, no matter how much pain we are in, that you promise that hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.